Thrive Conference Series Podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com. Okay, this session is for elders and other human beings. It's it's great to be here, and you have some uh, great elders at this church. We were together in a New Shepherds Orientation Workshop uh, back in January, and they did some of the finest homework before we got started of any group I've ever worked with. In that particular workshop, in all the workshops I do, I emphasize two things. Anybody here was in that workshop? I believe they've already heard everything that I said. Is that my honor That's probably so. I'm just curious, where'd that go? Yeah. So, Alan, how do you think would be a good way to start off this session? Oh, boy. Um, well, I, I, I don't know. I figured you need to talk about shepherd, shepherd, and shepherd, so shepherds to shepherd the sheep. Okay, before we do that, we need, to, we need to do something that I always do anytime I work with a group. Let's talk about our rules. Let's talk about our rules, our rules. Family rules are usually unconscious, unspoken, understood, and contradictory. And so during that weekend workshop, we talk a lot about rules. What are your rules? A lot of people say, well, we don't have any rules. We just do what the Bible says. Oh yeah, you got rules. Rules are simply the way we do stuff. It's our habit. Rules control our effectiveness, our influence. And so I like to start off. Anytime I'm leading a workshop or doing anything else, I have three basic rules. Number one, try not to learn very much. And that will be easy with me leading the discussion. Anybody here still in school? You fellas still in school? All right, look at me right here. Don't apply that rule that I just gave you to school. It'll get you in all kind of trouble. So this is for this session. Try not to learn very much. At least that's what I've done ever since I graduated and don't have to take tests anymore. Love to study, love to read. I read five books at a time. I don't read a book. I get bored doing that. I like to listen to podcasts, go to lectureships, workshops, But in all of those, I try not to learn very much. What I want to encourage you to do is to find a mustard seed that will make a difference. It's not how much we know, but what do we do about it? Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. And it's amazing what just a little bit of applied knowledge will do. So try to learn something, but try not to learn very much. Number two, I don't know what time you went to bed last night, got up this morning, don't know what kind of medicine you're taking, how hard you work today. I don't know if you notice it or not. Of course, people standing in the front, a lot of times, do you ever see people kind of going like this? And sometimes they just, just take a nap. They used to bother me when I was a boy preacher. I thought it was an insult to my preaching. It hurt my feelings. I'd get angry sometimes. But you know, you can learn a lot reading the Bible. Acts chapter 20. One night a man was preaching and a fellow went to sleep, fell out of the window and died. Who was preaching that night? Paul. Good preacher or bad preacher? Probably a pretty good preacher. 
And so the fact that somebody goes to sleep when you're preaching or teaching doesn't necessarily mean you're doing a bad job. We can also gain a lot of wisdom from our experience. In fact, that's the way we do it, is by reflecting on our mistakes and successes. I started preaching when I was 16 years old. That'll be 60 years come June the 18th. That's my 60-year anniversary. And so when I was senior in high school, November of 1962, I was down at the Wolf Creek Church of Christ in Hickman County, Tennessee. I was about halfway through my sermon, and I said in Hebrews 10, verses 25, 26, and pow, hit the floor, went to sleep right in the middle of my own sermon. Now, as I reflected on that, I got to thinking, if I go to sleep when I preach, why should I be offended if other people go to sleep? And that's what two doctors, they took me into Centerville, Dr. Parker Elrod looked me over, that's Burton Elrod's daddy, who's the physician of the Titans. Went the next day to Dr. Morris Katiski in Nashville, and he gave me a full physical, and they both said, only thing we can find out is you're exhausted. I played guard on the basketball team. We had a full court press going on Friday night both ways. Daddy was building a rock house, haul rock all day on Saturday. Went bowling Saturday night, got up early Sunday morning to study. About halfway through the sermon, it's time for a nap, and I took one. So if you need to sleep, I'm not going to holler, throw books, or do anything else. It's not going to bother me. Number three, anytime I speak, I like to bring a wastebasket. And the purpose of this wastebasket is, if I say anything that's not worth taking home, feel free to use the wastebasket. Now, I like to put a filter on that. If God said it, don't throw it in the wastebasket. And we will mention a verse or two of Scripture before we get through. But some of the things I'm going to be say, saying is looking over 60 years of preaching and give some things, I'll say it's my observation. Here's what I think. This is my opinion. I think it's pretty good or I wouldn't say it. You may say that's not worth taking it home, so feel free to use the basket. Would you do me a favor, please? At the end of each session, I'd like for you to empty that so we'll have plenty of room. So if you'll do that, I'd appreciate it. Okay, it's easy to talk and not say anything. It's easy to listen and not learn anything. It's easier to work hard and think I'm giving help and not do anything. Let me give you just a little history. In my preaching, I preached for several small churches when I was in high school. You get one sermon and go three or four places and you don't have to get up but one sermon a month that way. And so I did that and then uh, preached for some places while I was at Fried Hardeman and Lipscomb. Five places full-time, and since, uh, since the 1st of May of uh, 2007, I've been doing interim ministry. A lot of times when a preacher stays a long time and does a good job, they don't like whoever comes next. I volunteer to be the one they don't like. And during the 6 to 18 months that Gail and I are with them, they have time to grieve the loss of their last preacher and hopefully gain some wisdom on how to better select the next preacher. And so during this time, I have worked with several congregations in conflict. Anybody ever hear of a church fuss? Probably not in Alabama, but maybe some other place. We have those in Tennessee. 
And uh, in fact, two of my interims was just a plain old church split. One lost 50%, another lost 60%. And when I go into one of those places, generally what happens is the elders want me to fix the members. And the members want me to straighten the elders up or get rid of them and let's start all over. I tried that for the first several years of my ministry. I thought if I could get everybody else to straighten up, I'd have it easy. And I worked on getting everybody else to straighten up, and somehow I didn't do that very well. And when I started taking responsibility for myself and how can I respond better, how can I do better what I need to do, for some reason it seemed other people started acting a whole lot better. So what we're going to do is to talk about what can we do in order to be better leaders. And we're going to look at Acts 20, verse 28. In the context, Paul sends to Ephesus and calls for the elders of the church. And he reminisces about his, his time working with them. And he informs them, this is our last elders. When I do a New Shepherd's Orientation Workshop. This is my sermon on Sunday morning. What do you say at your last elders meeting? If you knew this was going to be the last elders meeting you ever attended, what would you say? Well, we can peep in on this one and see exactly what he said. And so he talks about the way he had worked with them. And then he said, Indeed, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. This is our last meeting. And then in verse 28, here's where we're going to camp out on this topic. Therefore take heed to yourselves, take heed to yourselves, take heed to yourselves, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What does Paul say? He says, where you need to do is to start with yourselves. Don't try to get everybody else fixed before you're fixed. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. And here's the best way I found to express that. When shepherds, 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 shepherds will better shepherd the sheep. But if shepherds don't shepherd, shepherds, shepherds probably won't shepherd the sheep. Let me explain to you what that means. I'd had that concept for some time, but I finally, I finally saw it, I finally saw it happen in a church, my last full-time church. I went to Barry's Chapel. I'd tried out for them in 1988, but it just didn't seem right. It, it didn't seem like it would be a good fit. And so I went to West Nashville Heights and stayed. And about four years later, one of the elders at Barry's Chapel said, I don't know if you heard it or not, but our preacher resigned Sunday morning. Would you have lunch with me and another elder? I said, who's paying? And he said, I will. I said, yeah, that's pretty well my policy. And so we met at Shoney's over in Brentwood. And one of the most unusual things I've ever had to happen in my life happened. We were eating a full meal, and so we started with the salad. And I was just taking the first bite or two of salad, and this man, one of the elders, Tom Vaughn, said, Jerry, we are in a mess at Barry's Chapel. We've got all kinds of problems at Barry's Chapel. And I said, praise the Lord. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, man, that is wonderful. I said, usually our elders aren't this honest this early. Generally what they'll do is let you sell your house and move and buy another house in another place. And after about six months, I'd say, Jerry, we need to talk to you. We've got serious problems here. And here I am, hadn't even got into my salad real well, and you're already telling me what it is. I'm interested. And so through a process of about 40 hours of meetings and talking, and, and I, I told them I didn't want to have a tryout sermon. I wanted a tryout workshop because they, they had so many problems. I said, if you don't want me, tell me before I get there. The best time to get a divorce is before you get married. And so uh, I went had a divided eldership, two on one side, two on the other side, and one in the middle. He wouldn't take sides. And uh, so we ended up, Father's Day 1995, with no eldership. Two out of three elders resigned. Elderships dissolved. Go through a process of appointing new elders in November 19, 1995, Four elders were appointed and not a one of them had er, ever served a day in their life. And so they can't say, well, how'd y'all do this? How y'all been taking care of this? Because there wasn't any y'all there. They were it. They were brand new and here you go. And so they did one of the, well, they're just some of the finest, wisest men I've ever worked with. Here's what they told the congregation. The first year, here's what we're going to do. Two things. We only have two goals for ourselves as elders. Number one, we're going to read every passage in the Bible that has to do with elders, bishops, overseers, shepherds, Old Testament passages on shepherds, all, all of that. And we're going to try to follow every principle and precept we find in the Bible to the best of our ability. That's number one. Number two, we're going to try to learn how to get along with each other. Isn't that powerful? And that's what they did. What happens when you start announcing what your vision and your goals are? Here's what's going to happen. You will be sabotaged. If you are a leader and nobody's trying to sabotage what you're doing, you're probably not leading very well. The only way I know to, to make any progress as a Christian or as a leader, number one, I need to examine my rules, unspoken, unconscious, understood, and contradictive, which means we don't think much about them, we don't talk much about them. If you violate them, you're in serious trouble, and they're often contradictory. And so as soon as they were appointed and told what they were going to do, what people do? Well, we've got to appoint deacons. They said, no, not for a year. Not for a year. We're going to study the Bible, what elders are supposed to do. We're going to try to do that to the best of our ability. And number two, we're going to try to learn how to get along with each other. That's in November, right after they're appointed. In the spring, so a group comes and they said, what are y'all going to do about vacation Bible school? The elders said, we're not going to do anything about vacation Bible school until November of next, this year, we're going to study what the Bible says that elders are supposed to do. We're going to try to do that, and we're going to try to learn how to get along with each other. Now, if you all want to do something, bring us your plans, and we'll encourage you every way we can. We're not going to do anything. 1996, we didn't have a vacation Bible school. And I often told them, probably one of the best things you did is what you didn't do. But here's one of the significant things that happened. 
as they started thinking about what we were going to do in leadership meetings, we would have an agenda. But one of the things that was always on that agenda, we called it leadership relationships. And that means that before we go home, we're going to go around the table and every man in that meeting will say, here's how it's been at my house for the last 30 days. Good, bad, and ugly. And generally what people would say, well, you know, it's been pretty good. We, we went up and had lunch with the kids. And, uh, things have been going pretty well. I hadn't had COVID if we were reporting now. Here's the one that stands out in my mind. One Thursday night when we were meeting, this particular elder said, okay, in the last 30 days since we met the last time, as you know, daddy died. Mama's not able to live by herself. So we moved her in with us. My wife had her third back surgery. We wish she had never had the first. She's in worse shape now than she was before she had the first surgery. Last week, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. I got fired Friday. Let's pray. And that's what we did. And so whatever has gone on, elders, preacher, youth minister, whoever, as we go around, we're going to pray for each other before we leave. And we're going to tell what, what's good and what is uncomfortable in our world. Observation, we'll either talk those things out or act them out. My observation, it's better to talk them out than it is to act them out. And so I saw in a concrete way when shepherds, 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 shepherds will better shepherd the sheep. But if shepherds don't shepherd, shepherds, shepherds probably won't shepherd the sheep. Think about it, think about it. If elders will not talk to each other about those kind of things or think they don't have time, you're not that important. We're not going to talk about stuff. We're in here to do the Lord's business. Well, I think shepherding is pretty well part of the Lord's business. And I think that shepherds are good enough and important enough to have shepherding themselves. If we won't talk about that with each other, what makes us think that those other 50 or 200 or 400 people in the congregation will come to talk to us about stuff that we won't talk to each other about. I don't think they will. And so there's uh, several things we need to be talking about. So we're talking primarily to elders, but I'm glad that we have some other folks here. Number one, to better understand elders. You know a lot of people don't really understand how hard elders work and the difficulties they have. I teach a leadership class in the congregations where I go as an interim. We talk about leadership prayers, leadership projects, where we divide the big group into small groups of, quote, elderships. And during the class, we will hand each one of those groups a problem that elders have to deal with and tell them, tell us what you would do as an eldership if you were presented this problem. And then we talk about eldership principles. You know what most people tell me? I never knew elders had to deal with all that stuff. And so I find a greater appreciation of elders. And so I hope that uh, what we talk about tonight will help you to better understand elders. Some will become elders. We have some young people. I write a blog, and if, if, 
if you don't get that, would you, would you fellas pass those out, please? I do two blogs. One's called New Shepherd's Orientation, and it's on leadership. The other one's called Between Preachers. If y'all would pass those out and give everybody one. The other one is on transition and how to look for preachers and that sort of thing. Uh, so, we've got some who will become elders and it's time. I wrote a blog not long ago. Somebody wrote and asked, I don't think our elders are leading as well as they should. What can I do? I said, number one, why don't you talk to them? See how you can encourage them. See how you can help them. And if they won't change, then be sure you're doing the best you can with your kids and your grandkids. And if you'll do that in 30, 40 years, you'll have some good elders. I know that's slow, but that's better than nothing. And so if they're not doing it right now, prepare people for some who will do it right. And then in others in leadership, parents, teachers, friends, and supervisors. I tell folks, let's apply the principles we learn in the Bible to our family, to the church, to our business, and to our softball team. Because biblical principles work anytime we have people. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. Shepherds need to shepherd shepherds for general spiritual health. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed to yourself and to, all the, and, to you, and to the doctrine. For in doing this, you'll both save yourself and those who hear you. So the first principle that Paul said to Timothy, Take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself. Number two, we need to take heed to ourselves for obvious or for hidden sins. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you unless you be reprobate. I love that closing part of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I think a group of people, elders, is who we're talking to here, shepherding shepherds, can help ourselves deal with feelings of inadequacy. Do you ever feel inadequate for the job you're doing? How's God feel about that? I love 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Here's what Solomon said. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and an uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
What do you hear Solomon saying? He's saying, I don't think I'll ever do it as well as my daddy did. And then he says, I ain't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. I don't know when to go in, don't know when to go out. And I can't even count to people, much less rule them. How'd you feel? Inadequate. He said, this is the biggest job I've ever seen. I ain't got the foggiest idea how you do it. And what did God say? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. A lot of leaders are embarrassed or ashamed or don't think they need to confess their doubts and their weaknesses and their questions. And so they think that being arrogant and I've got all the answers and I know everything and you just ask me and I'll solve it. And that's the very opposite of what draws people to you. I was doing a New Shepherd's Orientation workshop and we were I don't know three or four or five hours into it and one of the elders said Jerry I don't know what's the matter all the people in the church he said you know what happened the very day I was appointed an elder people quit talking to me what's the matter with everybody else I said I don't know I said you know I've never been to the congregation where you served my life I said, my experience has been that I can either try to straighten everybody else out or I can look at myself and see if there's anything that I might change that would be helpful. And I found that works a little better. Most amazing thing that happened. We do, two th we do a lot of things in the workshop. One of the things we do, we'll, we'll look at a video and talk some principles and read some passages from the Bible and then we'll divide up into small groups. And in one of those, we go around and compliment everybody and teach people how to receive compliments. And the way you receive a compliment is by saying, thank you. You don't deny it. You don't deflect it. You say, thank you. And then we go a while, and then we get into criticism. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then we divide up into groups, and we criticize each other. And I say, do it light, do it light. You don't want to do major surgery without an anesthesiologist. And so just tell people one thing they might do that would improve their effectiveness, or maybe one thing they could quit doing. And when somebody criticizes you, here's the way you receive that. You say... Thank you. Anybody who finds salmonella in my refrigerator and tells me about it is not hurting me, they're helping me. Why in the world would I want my wife, kids, and grandkids to get sick? You're not hurting me when you point out something that might be harmful to me. Dale Jenkins is here and he organizes a luncheon uh, once a month in Nashville. They usually have a speaker. What he did on March 2nd, 2009, he had three elders to talk about what elders which wish preachers knew about elders. Isn't that good? That we can just tell what we wish you really understood so we could have a better relationship. He asked three preachers to talk about what preachers wished elders knew about preachers. And he asked me to be one of those. And I kept thinking, I kept thinking, I kept thinking. 
And I called Dale and I said, I hate to, I hate to just ask for a special favor, but I'm going to ask for a special favor. I want to speak last because I'm afraid that after I get through it, it might mess up what everybody else is saying. So he did, and here's what I said. I started out by saying, I don't wish for elders to know anything about preachers. That can be a problem. Quote, preachers are lazy, irresponsible with money, have bad children. Or, preachers are always good, always wise, know all about the Bible, know how to work with people. No, that's not the way it is. That's a broad generalization. And so what I say, I've enjoyed and benefited from knowing and being known by elders as fellow human beings and struggling Christians with strengths and weaknesses, hopes and fears. And so I talked about some things I wanted the elders to know about me as an individual, Jerry Barber, and then an elder. Here's one of the paragraphs that has to do with what Solomon said. Here's one thing I wish elders knew about me. I wish I could tell you I don't know what I'm doing. I wish you knew that I know that you don't know what you're doing. Working with people is not an exact science. I can't push the right buttons and get the desired results. I bought a new computer November 18, 2019, and it has been a nightmare until we finally found the right buttons to push and the right programs to delete and it's working really well now. If you, there's something wrong, there's something wrong if it's not working right because those things are designed garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. People aren't like that. You can't just push a button. Okay, here's the way we're going to reboot that. No, you don't do that. The process of gaining wisdom can come as we discuss what we don't know and how can we best proceed to do the best we know. We're like Abraham most days. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was. So Solomon said, Lord, I don't know what world I'm going to do. I don't know. I ain't got enough sense to get in and out of the rain. Never do as good as my daddy. I can't count the people, much less number them. And the Lord said, I can work with a man like that. Was not the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit? And that's the attitude. Let's go to Job chapter 6. In Job chapter 6, we see, you know, Job, you remember the story, how much he lost, how sick he got, and, and his friends came to see him, and for seven days they were a blessing to him because they sat there seven days and didn't say anything. It's when they started talking that they messed it up. And they accused and they blamed and they humiliated Job unmercifully. And here's what Job says. Job 6 verse 11. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me and is success driven from me? 
He said, what do you think I am? You just keep punching and picking. You think I'm made out of metal that that doesn't hurt what you're doing? Listen to this. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. You have a friend that would stick with you if you do everything in the world could be done wrong and they'd show up. Somebody said, if you ever get in jail and call someone you think to be your friend and say, I'm in jail, I need your help. If they say, why'd you get in jail? Probably not your friend. If they say, where are you? I'll be right there. That's who you're looking for. That's who you're looking for. Job says to him as afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Leadership does not mean feeling good when you feel bad. Leadership does not mean telling people that you feel good when you're devastated. I was in a meeting with a church that I had known through the years. And during that, they said, Jerry, we need, elders need to meet with you one night. And so we met one night. And they said, Jerry, we're just, we're down. We just can't, we can't get to get up and go. We're just, 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 just flat. We can't get our get up and going. And, and what can you tell us so we can get that enthusiasm going again? Well, I read their bulletin there. I said, brethren, how many elders have died in the last six months? They said, well, two. I said, do you miss Brother George? Oh, yeah, he is a good man. I'd known Brother George back in 1968. I was getting a private pilot's license, and he and his company owned planes, and they flew. So we did some hangar flying and talked. And then another elder died. I said, maybe what this church needs is for some elders to show how you grieve with hope. And you don't grieve by saying everything's fine. You grieve by saying we really miss those men. They were important to us. And it's if a part of us has left us because it has. And so elders need to be able to grieve. Job says... You need, you need to do that. Take heed to yourselves. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, everybody just ignore it and say, everything's great. We're just doing good. It don't make any difference. We'll see them in the resurrection. Yeah, but we're not at the resurrection yet. You suffer with those who suffer. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20. How do we deal with discouragement and depression? You think elders ever have any problems with that? Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. Jeremiah said, Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded you're stronger than I and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. 
But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary of holding back and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report they say and will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling saying, perhaps he can be induced and we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. He said, Lord, you got me into this stuff and I thought it was going to be fun. It's not anywhere near fun. He said, I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to quit. But I can't because his word is in my heart like a burning fire. And then look what he says in verses 11 and 12. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Whoopee, whoopee, whoopee. Aren't you glad Jeremiah has recovered? Man, he was in deep depression and now everything's fine. Well, it is until we go to verse 14. And in verse 14 he said, Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? Man, he backed down again. He's saying, I wished I'd never been born. I wish my mother's still pregnant. Isn't that a horrible thing to wish on your mother? I've never been pregnant, but they tell me a lot of times it's not real comfortable. And he is probably 25, 30, 35 years old. And he said, I wish mama's still pregnant. And I never had to come out. What do you do when you get feeling like that? Have you ever talked to somebody or been somebody who feels low enough you could crawl under a snake's belly and still couldn't reach the top? That's what Jeremiah felt. And so when I'm like that, is there anybody that I can talk to? A human being. It's like the little boy. They told him, go to bed, go to sleep. And he said, I still can't do that. Well, talk to God. He said, I want God with some skin on. So I need God with some skin on sometimes that I can just say, here's where I am. I'm lower than I've ever been in my life. Curse be the man who came and said, you got a new baby boy. Wish I'd never been. And then if you want to really get down low, read Jeremiah, uh, Lamentation chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Old Testament. And essentially what Jeremiah says, he said, you have aged my skin, you have broken my bones, you won't listen to my prayers, you fill my loins full of arrows. That sounds rather uncomfortable to me. And you've broken my teeth with gravel. He's talking to God. 
He's complaining to God. Is it okay to complain to God? I had preached decades before I knew that was scripture. I thought, no, you don't ever do that. You've got to be up and cheerful and say everything's great. Jeremiah didn't know that for some reason. And he said, when I call these things to mind, I have hope. Well, isn't that a great motivational speech? I heard Zig Ziglar a bunch of times and never did hear him say anything like that. And then he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Isn't that powerful? I don't believe I can have a close relationship with, I mean really close, really close relationship with another human being until we've had at least one good fuss. Because up until then, I don't know what's going to happen if we ever disagree with each other. It's going to be hard to go 15, 20 years and never have a different point of view or a different choice. Bill Clinton had this three strikes and you're out with repeat offenders. Let me tell you, there's some folks that's not near that liberal. They have the rule, one strike, you're out, end of the inning, end of the ball game, and we're not ever going to play anymore. And I don't believe I have a good relationship with God, probably until I've had something so devastating that I say, God, why in the world? You might not have made it happen, but you're big enough you could have caused it not to happen. You've wrinkled my skin and broken my bones and filled my loins full of air. You don't listen. My prayers don't go, they don't get past the ceiling here. And you've broken my teeth with gravel. And so... When shepherd, 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 shepherds can better shepherd the sheep. And see, if you have two or three, four or five, our north used to say if you had six, you were very fortunate. It's what he used to do when they'd have an attendance drive at Madison. He'd get up and say, okay, we want everybody to bring at least six people with you to our homecoming. Everybody bring six. Ask somebody to be one of your six. If you can't get six people to come to the Madison Church of Christ, don't die because it takes six to carry you off. So go out there and try to recruit your six and bring them with you. And so if we can have two or three or four or five or six where we can just really be honest with them, that'll be powerful. We need to be able to talk about our exhaustion. You ever get tired? Just give out? Again, it took me years to find Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is my book chapter and verse for taking a nap on Sunday afternoon. For years, I would not, I didn't want anybody to think I ever slept. Now this is, I mean, just to talk about it doesn't sound real smart, but it's just the truth. We had a, a phone right, next, right there on the nightstand beside my bed. It rang 2.30 in the morning. You think I answered? No. I pulled the cover up, stood straight up, and I said, hello. Well, Brother Barber, I'm sorry to get you out of bed. I'm not in bed. What do you think I am, a lazy preacher? I remember the first time I ever, it was on a Saturday morning, 8.30 in the morning, one of the deacon's wives called me 
And she said, Jerry, where's the key to the bus? I can't find it. I said, it is in the middle drawer of the secretary's desk. She said, I'm sorry to get you out of bed. And I said, you didn't get me out of bed. I'm glad to tell you where the key is. And as soon as you hang up, I'm going to turn over and go back to sleep. That's the first time in my life I remember answering the phone in bed and told the truth about it and rolled over and went back to sleep and didn't feel guilty. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus went to his disciples and he said, you have been so busy you hadn't even had time to eat. You need to rest a while. And you know what happened? They showed up for a big picnic. They fed 5,000 men beside the women and children. And after they had cleaned up the, the leftovers, it says he constrained them to get into a boat. He said, y'all need to get aside. Turn off your cell phones. Don't want you talking to anybody else. And then you know what he did? He sent them out on the sea and he said, see y'all later. Well, wait a minute, why didn't he go with them? I don't know why he did it. But do you ever need to get, around, get away from people that you're real close to? You know what Gail tells me ever so often? Jerry, it's about time for you to go preach a gospel meeting by yourself. <laughs> so, I got book, chapter, and verse for resting. I'm just as much a Christian sleeping at 2.30 in the morning as I am standing in the pulpit on Sunday morning preaching. There's a time to sleep and a time to preach, and God loves me all the time. I need help in dealing with criticism. Criticism is going to come. If I'm a leader and not being sabotaged, it's probably because I'm not leading. A leader is someone who, who encourages people to go where they are not. And that involves pain many times. I've run three marathons in my life and I never read a, ran a marathon without getting sore. My standard mileage when I started training was 15 a week. It's pretty tough to do a marathon with that kind of mileage. You've got to up the mileage and what? Oh, man, I'm sore today. Yeah, that's the way it gets. And when people get sore and in pain, they start hollering and resisting. And so that's going to happen. It happened to Moses and Aaron as they were leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. They said, no, let's just... Let's get us some new leaders and go back. We like the watermelon, the cucumbers, and all that kind of good stuff. We don't like food out here. We don't like where y'all going. Let's go back. They were more comfortable with their slavery than they had hope for freedom. Observation. One of the greatest opportunities for leaders is to learn to deal with criticism. As a young preacher, here's the way I like to deal with criticism. If you have something about me that you don't like, I want you to talk to my good, godly elders. I serve under the oversight of my good, godly elders. Don't talk to me, talk to them. And then you know what I wanted? I wanted my good, godly elders to tell those people who were criticizing me, look, Jerry works hard and he's doing a really good job and it discourages Jerry when people criticize him. So if you could, just lay off of it. Is that okay? Boy, isn't that a great way to deal with criticism is don't deal with it. And finally one day, I'd had some stinging criticism. We had a counselor 
I set up time, went in and talked with them. I wanted him to do two things. Number one, agree that I was right and they were wrong. That's a slam dunk. I mean, I knew there wasn't any question about that. And then number two, I was hoping that he would kind of come up to these people who were doing that because I told them who they were. And he'd say, you know, Jerry works hard and does a good job. It bothers him when people want you not do that. So I went in and told my story, and he just sat there and kind of looked at the floor and looked at me. He said, did it ever occur to you that not everybody likes Jerry Barber? And then I didn't say anything. I don't think it had ever occurred to me that not everybody, I mean, why would, maybe you don't know me that well, but if you did, you'd know that pretty well there's nothing that you wouldn't like about Jerry. I mean, I'm an only child, grew, you know, had a happy childhood. I just can't figure why everybody wouldn't like me. But I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. And so he continued. He said, everybody does not like Jerry Barber. Everybody has not liked Jerry Barber in the past. Everybody does not like Jerry Barber today. Everybody will not like Jerry Barber in the future. That's facts. That's reality. That's the way the world operates. Now, you have two choices. Number one, if you will let people know that you don't want any criticism, you don't care how they feel or what they think, if you'll let them know that, Communicate it real well. Not many people will criticize you until they get ready to fire you. Oh, me, oh, me. That brought back November, uh, December 19, 1976 at 10:20 in the morning. I just taught a Bible class. I came upstairs and the elder said, Jerry, would you step in the office? Yes, sir. Uh, Brother Barbara, I think you ought to think about resigning today. Wow. I'd studied all week long. I didn't have that anywhere in my notes. Just fired me. Find out he hadn't even talked to the other elder. I went in that morning to the assembly. First song we sang is Anywhere is Home. <laughs> Y'all think that's funny, don't you? I do too. But I'll tell you, that morning I didn't think it was funny. Somebody said the difference between tragedy and comedy is 10 years. And it took me about that long. <laughs> I preached that sermon, went home, ate lunch with Gail and told her what had happened, went to Deacon's house and cried pretty well all afternoon, preached that night and started looking for a job. So I didn't want the firing business. So that was my first alternative. Let people know that you don't want it. They won't say much to you until they say you're fired. Okay, well, what's number two? I don't want that one. He said, if you will communicate verbally and non-verbally over and over again that you really are concerned about what people think and about how they feel, a few people will tell you and many times it will really, really hurt. But you'll learn some things you'll never learn any other way. That's powerful. I have been a fan of criticism. You know what I tell people now? I love criticism. Anybody who finds salmonella in my refrigerator and tells me about it, they're not hurting me, they're helping me. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will find that many of the qualities of an elder 
have to do with how they can deal with criticism. First of all, they don't need a lot. They're blameless. They're not violent. They're gentle, not quarrelsome. They're not self-willed. They're not quick-tempered. They're self-controlled. And so they, uh, they deal with it easily. But see, I need that group of people to, that'll tell me, the truth. well, Jerry, yeah, those people told you that and you come across that way sometimes. Oh, okay. Okay, just want to check it out. When shepherds, 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 shepherds will better shepherd the sheep, but if shepherds don't shepherd, shepherds, shepherds probably won't shepherd the sheep. Why in the world would you speak to the other 50, 100, or 200 folks about things that you won't talk about yourself being the most mature men in this congregation. Finally, we need to do it for encouragement. Do you ever need encouragement? Hopefully others will give us what we need. One time I met with some elders and just asked for it. I said, I've tried preaching with encouragement and without, and I find out it works better with. Somebody said, you mean you had asked for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I get home, about every two weeks, most three weeks, i got to have some beans and cornbread. And you know what I tell Gail? Gail, it's beans and cornbread time. And a little bit of that banana pudding would really be helpful. And you know what Gail does? She cooks beans and cornbread and the best banana pudding in the world. And I'm not ashamed to do that. Why wouldn't I tell her what I want? She doesn't mind that. And so if I'm hungry on the inside for encouragement, why not ask for it? And so I don't mind doing that. But what if they don't? I'm not helpless. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. They had destroyed the city when they came back you know what all the Israelites wanted to do? They wanted to stone David. Boy, that's great. You come back and your wife and your kids are gone and they burned your house down and everybody wants to kill you. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes we have to feed ourselves and nobody else will do that. But if we've got some people when shepherds, 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 shepherds will better shepherd the sheep, but when shepherds don't shepherd, shepherds, shepherds probably won't shepherd the sheep. We come back for refreshment. We want to look at the other side of that about being overseers. Guess what? And you can probably guess the rest of the story. We'll talk about that when we come back. Drive conference, series, podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com.